0: Welcome to the Open Door Church podcast. Our prayer is that you will be encountered and encouraged by the Holy Spirit and challenged by the word of the Lord. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. Well, guys, last week I introduced the, this uh, concept um, on the importance of being unified in mission. I was talking about unity if you will. And uh, it's the thought of being in one accord. We looked uh, uh, throughout the book of Acts. There's 10 different times where it's mentioned in the book of Acts that the believers were together in one accord. It didn't just mean that they were together and like hanging out. It didn't just mean that they uh, kind of were like-minded. It meant that they had the same heart, the same spirit. They were unified in heart, mind, and spirit to accomplish God's purposes uh, for his church. And so we looked at unity as actually being a demonstration of spiritual maturity. Our main text was out of Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, we look at this kind of high calling that Paul kind of gives to the church where he marks out this uh, the importance of unity. And he talks about uh, it being a, a mark and a demonstration of spiritual maturity. But we have to understand that unity uh, goes beyond just uh, not disagreeing with one another, right? Yes. That's something... That is very important and pivotal to our understanding of what it means to be in one accord for us to be unified. It's not just that I don't have beef with someone. It's not just that there isn't disagreement or dissension. The primary problem I sense within our community is not one of dissension or hostility. It's not necessarily that I feel like there are people within our congregation that just want to fight each other, unless you're Darwin and Lisa. I'm kidding. I just always have this picture in my mind of a story that I was told. I wasn't even here for it, but they were doing like this boys versus girls offering challenge. And I, I, I've heard rumors uh, and testimony of this event where Darwin and Lisa got in a wrestling match in the aisle on their way to give their offering. It was the other way around. This is great. <laughs> So I don't necessarily sense that there's this great deal of dissension or hostility where people are just, uh, you know, wanting to, you know, hurt each other or uh, necessarily even disagree with one another. And I think one of the, the primary reasons for that is apathy. I think the great danger for us as Christians, I think the great danger for Christians in our community, in our society, is that there's actually no belief to even be passionate about, to even disagree with people on it. See, we, we grow comfortable. We may not be at each other's throats, but it doesn't mean that we have each other's backs either. And I think it's important that we live with conviction. I'm not interested in just having a church or being a community of people where we're okay with everybody because we're apathetic. We're okay with uh we're okay with there not being disagreement because you know we really don't believe in anything. And it's one thing to not be in dissension, it's one thing to not just be in this place of disagreement, but it also doesn't mean that we're unified. It doesn't mean that we're united in purpose of seeing the gospel advance. You see, there are too many churches seeking to fulfill an inferior purpose. We have entire ministries built around pastors' personalities that are merely advancing a brand, Others exist as organizations and social clubs providing a safe place for carbon-copied people to feel accepted, while yet more and more ministries are succumbing to the pressure of the culture to become institutions that align morally with whatever society deems acceptable at the moment. It's of utmost importance that we as a congregation, as Open Door Church, don't get caught up in something that is less than Jesus. The church fails to be the church as it was intended to be when our passions are not the same as those of Jesus. And I kind of concluded this teaching that I had last week with this idea and this phrase Messeo Dei, or the mission of God, referring to God's intentional actions in redeeming Mankind. And I said this, that we must understand that God is on a mission and he's intentionally working to bring mankind back to him. So as we talk about the mission of the church, we must first view it not as the primary objective of an organization or some kind of catchphrase that you know we put up on the wall or print on our business cards, but it's the actual heartbeat of God. And it's something that we have to be connected to. It's something that we have to experience. It's something that we have to be invested in. And it needs to be the motivating and driving factor behind who we are as a congregation. And so I want to talk to us about mission this morning. You guys would turn in the scriptures to John chapter 20, verses 21 through 22 been a passage of scripture that has been a favorite of mine for a number of years now. I continually come back to his, It's this encounter with the resurrected Jesus, um, and in chapter 20 and verse 21, I'm reading out of the New King James here this morning, it says, So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive The Holy Spirit. Earlier in the Gospel of John, just a a few pages earlier in John chapter 17, we see something called the high priestly prayer where Jesus is praying for his followers, he's praying for his disciples, and he explicitly gives this commission. And he prays for this in John chapter 17 and verse 18, where he says, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. He's having this conversation with the father. And so we understand that as disciples, as followers of Jesus, we have been commissioned, we have been sent into the world that we live in the same manner, in the same way, with the same backing that God the father sent Jesus into the world the first time to redeem mankind. I, I don't want to underemphasize this point, because this is something that Jesus clearly states twice here in just a few verses, that we are being sent by Him. We are being sent by God. In the same manner that the Father sent Jesus into the world, we are being sent into the world as well. There is purpose, there is reason, there is mission for you and I, as followers of Jesus, to be sent into the world. And I think as we look at the scriptures and we begin to highlight some of the reasons why Jesus was initially sent. We, we begin to understand the motivation for his mission. And I believe that that is essential to helping us understand ours. If we look into the gospel of Luke. Luke 4, verses 43. Um, he says this. This is very interesting uh, a thing that he says here. He's speaking, and he says, <coughs> in verse 43 of Luke 4, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also because for this purpose I have been sent. So Jesus describes his purpose for being sent to preach the kingdom of God. If you're not familiar maybe with the gospel narrative, but over and over and over and over again throughout the throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see Jesus proclaiming this message that the kingdom of God is at hand. He's preaching something called the kingdom of God. It's it's all throughout his Sermon on the Mount. It's throughout most of his teachings. When we look into his parables, all throughout the the book of Matthew, we see Jesus continually coming back to this theme and this teaching on the kingdom of God. And he says, I must preach the kingdom of God. He talks about this being the reason for his being sent. Luke 19.10 It says this, "'For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost.'" We understand that a primary reason for the coming of Jesus, for the Father sending the Son, was to seek and save that which was lost. We talk about the mission of God, the Meseo Day. It is the active redemption, the intentional actions of God the Father sending the Son in the redeeming of mankind. And we, as followers of Jesus, have been invited to be participants in that story that is still ongoing because God is is still in the active business of redeeming mankind and reconciling mankind to himself and his chosen apparatus, his chosen vessel to bring about his purposes upon the earth is his church right now, filled with his Holy Spirit, being the hands and feet of Jesus in a culture that still wants to crucify him. It's imperative, friends, that you and I understand the heartbeat of God. We understand why Jesus came because then we understand a little bit better about what our mission looks like here on the earth and what our mission looks like here in serving and reaching our community of Pagosa Springs. Because God has a plan and he has a purpose for his church. And it's not that we would just sit here and kind of do the things that we've always done and have a nice, cozy, safe place that's safe from all the craziness of the world. That was never God's intention for his followers. It was never that it was supposed to be a, a, I've used the language before, a wildlife preserve. But some Christians have that mentality Right? They have this idea that you know, we gather in these groups, we gather in churches, and we, and we do it to be reclusive from the rest of the world. And we have our own safe movies, and we have our own safe uh, Christian music and radio stations and, and these things. And we try to create a, an environment that is safe. And secluded from all the scary, nasty things that exist out there. And we, we actually failed to understand that God's intention was actually to send his church into a culture, into a society, I know how to say that word, to send us into a place that desperately needs the hope of Jesus. And so I hate to break it to you. God's heartbeat for you is not that you would be safe and sound and secure and cozy. I'm not saying that we can't have security. I'm not saying that we can't experience comfort of the Holy Spirit, but He does want to send us into a culture that desperately needs Jesus. Matthew 24. It's a very interesting chapter in the Bible. And we could talk post-trib, pre-trib, all those kind of eschatology. I don't know how to say words today. I'm sorry. (laughs) Eschatology is kind of a hard word to say. And then when you add the eschatological, but but, I'm butchering it. I don't know how to say it. I don't know how to put it together. Um, I don't even know what it's talking about. Matthew 24, (laughs) verse 14 says this, that this gospel of the kingdom, Notice this, this is the words of Jesus. He says, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. So Jesus makes a statement before the the end of everything. Before we get to the end of this age and and things are set right, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached. We know gospel means good news, right? Right? We've talked about that in the past. We've looked at this, what gospel means, but this good news of the kingdom, the kingdom of God is going to be preached. So what is this gospel of the kingdom? This primary message of Jesus? What What was Jesus constantly saying over and over and over and over again when he was preaching this message? He would say that the kingdom of God is at hand right? It's interesting language. And for me, I was always kind of interested in what that meant. He talks about the kingdom of God being near. That was the message that Jesus was going about preaching when he was talking about the kingdom. And he would say, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is near. And I would wrestle with, well, if Jesus is here, then the kingdom is here. So is it, is it here or is it not? Is it here or is it near? And I really think uh, a number of years ago as I was reading this, I was studying this, it, 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 it clicked with me in the sense that with the kingdom of God being at hand, with the kingdom of God being near it, 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 was a, it was a connection. The kingdom of God is within reach. It's attainable. It's not far off. It's not distant anymore because Jesus is present and he's on the scene and he's saying that the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's in your grasp because I'm here and I'm present is what Jesus is saying is through me. It's possible to enter into this kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is within reach. It's not far off. It's not impossible anymore because Jesus is here and he has made a way where there was no way. So I think it was about six or seven years ago, as uh, I was casting vision, I was talking with Kelly about the mission of our church and, and what, what it was supposed to look like and what we were supposed to do. You know, we we're printing up business cards and, and these things, and uh, I felt the pressure of having some kind of mission, and I was like, love God, love people. That's catchy that makes sense and there's nothing wrong with that you know i i think that's right but uh, the lord really burdened upon me three specific words and that was to awaken to equip and to send and i felt like that was almost stamped as a mandate upon the ministry here of open door church and i want to i want to communicate these things with you over the next couple of weeks of what it means to be a church on mission because I, I believe this, we, we're called to be unified. And we're called to be uh, unified in mission, and if I'm not doing a good job communicating that mission, I can't expect it to ever actually come to fruition, right? Um, how many of you guys know that missions don't get accomplished accidentally? I don't know if you guys knew this, but uh, I think that that's kind of like pretty like simplistic like, thought process, right? Uh, let's think of a military operation, right? You know, if we wanted to think of like Normandy, or um, you know, SEAL Team Six taking out Osama bin Laden, those things, the, those things didn't happen accidentally. They required strategic planning, did they not, to come to uh, to come to a specific result? And maybe this isn't the great um, the greatest analogy here. <coughs> But those operations required people being on the same page and people understanding the roles that they were supposed to play in order to see the mission come to fruition. Does that make sense? I believe it's no different for us as a church, as the body of Christ, uh, to understand that there are different parts that we all play. But we have a singular goal and we have a unified mission and that is the purpose of God for us. Um, I, I wrote this down. When I was thinking about military operations, I said they required discipline and intentional strategic planning. And I believe if the mission of God for us is to impact Pagosa Springs with the power of the gospel, then it would require no less from us in terms of discipline, in terms of being intentional, in terms of being strategic. And we can't just kind of sit back and hope that Pagosa gets saved, Right? I think that's a lot of people's mentality. You know what? I signed up for the Jesus train. I'm going to sit back. I know God's good. I know he's got things under control, and he's just going to do it with or without me. So let's just ride this easy train, you know? I believe God's intention for us is to be strategic, but guided by the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about that in a minute because I think there's one, I, I, I think that's, easy to let this pendulum swing where we can kind of be on one end of the spectrum where, you know, we're just hands off and we're just saying, God, do your thing. And we're going to be over here and watch. And then we can try to, uh, you know, try to manipulate and we can try to plan and strategize and organize without the help of the Holy Spirit. And can I tell you, that will never be fruitful. You'll burn yourself out (laughs) and you won't see any fruit of the labor unless the Holy Spirit's involved, active in and on it. But what I'm what I'm saying here is that uh, waiting and relying on the Holy Spirit is 100% necessary if we're to success if we're going to successfully fulfill God's purpose for our church. We never want to do something just for the sake of doing it, but we can't excuse laziness and mask it as waiting on the Lord. I think I can be guilty of that some days. I think I can just kind of God, you didn't tell me to do anything, so I'm just going to not do anything. And the reality of it is he has given us so much instruction through his word on what and how we're supposed to do things. And so I say this because I believe that he does want to release strategic strategies on how we can impact our community creative, inventive ideas of how we can encounter people with the good news of the kingdom. I believe that there are things that he wants to implement. I believe that there are things that are specifically unique to Pagosa. Can I tell you right now, there are things that would only, I mean, I'm just thinking about, you know, the fact that it's dumping snow and you guys are here and you have no idea how much that blesses my heart as a pastor. There are things that we can implement here in Pagosa that would not work in southern Arizona, (laughs) right? Uh, Just because of where we live and how we live. I I believe there are creative avenues for the gospel to go forth, uniquely curated for how we live life here in Pagosa. And I believe that he wants to give, I I believe he wants to give by way of his Holy Spirit um, instruction, and strategies on how the gospel can go forth. But it requires us being sensitive and filled with the Holy Spirit. So if we're going to talk about this word, awaken, that's what we're talking about this morning. I want to just emphasize that first part of that threefold mission to awaken, to equip, and to send. My mind immediately went to waking up every morning, right? Uh, I guess that's just kind of the natural progression. And I've noticed there's two types of people in this world. Uh, Those that set their alarms, like me, and I set my alarm for like 5 o'clock every morning, and it's just a one-and-done kind of thing. And I seldom ever make it to my alarm. I wake up before my alarm goes off, and I just turn my phone off. But then there is my wife, who, if you look at her phone, she's got alarms starting. If she's got to get up at, you know, 6 o'clock for school, the alarms start going off at like 530 then 5.32, then 5.34. And there's like every two minutes, there's like 10 to 12 alarms that go off that she just reaches over and turns off. Like, like that extra 30 minutes, you're not ever actually sleeping because you're just kind of doing this thing. And you know what? It's just, you know, there's two types of people in this world. And it seems like, because God has a sense of humor, that they wind up married to each other i uh, I could tell that some people are laughing here uh, that it must be true for them i don't understand the multiple alarm people I really don't if that's you i just I just don't get it <laughs> is anybody who is that here? Just confession time <laughs> that's anyway before i before I dig myself into a hole <laughs> somebody's going to write a bad review of uh our church on Google because he Offended us about uh, our alarms. <laughs> what would we do without cell phones? Can I tell you? I don't remember. Anyway, I, we should talk about the Bible and not <laughs> iPhone alarms. But, right, alarms are designed to grab hold of our attention, right? I saw some pretty crazy alarm clocks uh, when I was... Um, there was, a, there was a period of time where I really struggled in waking up early. This was like 10 years ago. I was working at Pizza Hut. And I just wanted to get in a good routine, and I wanted to be able to get up early, spend time with the Lord, and then go to work and just have, have a healthy routine. And I remember trying to get in this routine because what would happen is I would just turn my alarm off and just go back to bed because I was a lazy punk 20-something, and I just, you know, in my mind, I just... I didn't have a family to get up for, I didn't have a lot of responsibility, and I would sleep for like half the day. And it wasn't a particularly long season of my life, but I I remember thinking like, I just need to figure out something different than the alarm on my phone. And I would try to find these things that would wake me up. And so there was one alarm clock that would just shine this bright light. It actually didn't make any sound or anything like that. It would shine this bright light to wake you up. There was another one that, when the alarm went off, it was like a propeller and it would zip around the room. And in order to get the alarm to shut off, you had to get up physically out of bed to go get the propeller piece and put it back on the alarm clock. And the idea would be, this would wake, you're awake now because you have to get out of bed to turn it off. You can't just hit the snooze button kind of a deal. There's all kinds of creative, inventive alarm clocks out there that do a pretty good job of waking you up. But as I was thinking about this, uh, I think about the fact that our arms are designed to grab hold of our attention. if you think of like a tsunami alarm, right? I was in uh, I was in Hawaii with Kelly a number of years ago, and it was the first time we heard the tsunami alarm. And we had no idea what was going on. It was just a drill. It was just a test. They were testing their system. But I mean, it was like wild and it was crazy, and it certainly grabbed hold of our attention. You know, we're at the beach and we're like, do we need to go? Like are we what's going on? <laughs> you know, kind of a deal. Um, But I would say that the most common usage of an alarm these days is to awake us from slumber. And uh, spiritually speaking, I believe we are called to be sounding the alarm. And I believe the way by which we sound the alarm to awaken others is by preaching the gospel and preaching the good news of the kingdom. And I think, if, uh, I think if we were going to draw some parallelism here is that uh, it, as we preach the gospel, it's equated to sounding the alarm. And I wrote this down um, a number of years ago when I was kind of fleshing out this idea of being in a church that would be called to awaken, to equip, and to send. I believe this, I'm going to repeat this as we kind of break it down, but our call to awaken is twofold. First, it is to awaken pre-believers to the abundant life available in Jesus Christ. Secondly, it is to awaken believers from the slumber of spiritual complacency, to live with urgency, passion, and holiness in the midst of a compromising culture. And so I really want to focus in on that first part here, to awaken pre-believers to the abundant life available in Jesus Christ. I like to use that word pre-believers because uh, I believe it sets this hopeful expectation for salvation. And uh, I want to be clear about what we're inviting people to first. I think there's a misconception uh, that Christianity is a religion of rules revolving what we can't do. Right? We think of it as being this idea of a, a thou shalt not. You know, We think of all the things that we can't do, and there's been this picture painted of a God that doesn't want us to have any fun, right? That's not the Jesus that I serve. It's not the faith that I have placed my life into. I believe 100% there is a call into holiness, but it's not focused anymore on what I can't do. You know, I think this idea is like, well, oh, I can't, uh, I can't party anymore, or I can't sleep around anymore, or I can't smoke this, or I can't do that anymore because I'm a Christian. But what we're actually invited into is a rich and full and abundantly satisfying life. It's not that I don't get to sleep around anymore. It's that I get to come home to the woman that faithfully loves me and a home that is uh, solidly secure, Right? Like, because of what Jesus has done in my life. And I think of John 10.10, 10, where it says that Jesus, well, I'll read the whole thing. We, we read that the thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And Jesus says that he comes that we may have life and that we, have it, that we may have it more abundantly. The promise for us, friends, is not one of what we can't do. It's what we get to do now that we have life in Jesus. And I want us to understand what we're awakening people to is the reality that there is a better way to live. There is something more to be had because there is a life that we can live that is not satisfying at all, right? We understand many of us have walked down that road of drug abuse. We've walked down that road of trying to fill, uh, fill loneliness with every other possible person. And we understand that it is not rich. It is not satisfying. It's discouraging. It's depressing. And it's lonely, And we understand that there's never never a high that truly satisfies, right? But what we're inviting people into is to this rich and satisfying, this abundant life that is found in Christ Jesus. And so, as I'm thinking here and I'm talking about awakening pre-believers to abundant life available in Jesus Christ, uh, I'm reminded of what Romans 10.8 says. Romans 10, beginning in verse 8, it says, But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one who they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And so we see here our responsibility as ones that are being sent, correct? To preach the good news, to preach the gospel of the kingdom, to introduce those that have been in slumber to Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 4 through 6 says this, that the God of this age, this is talking about our enemy, the devil, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. And I wish we had time to just break this down like verse by verse, but we'd be here all day, and I'm trying to give you an overview from the top of the mast, uh, if that makes any sense than just the uh, breaking it all down, but... Friends, I believe that we have a responsibility as sent ones to proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? And I believe in doing so, as we're faithful to preach, as we're faithful to share the message of Jesus, I believe that God and his Holy Spirit will move mightily, that many might be awakened to the reality of a God that loves them. of an abundant life that's available when we surrender to Jesus. And it's not something that we're peddling. We're not peddling our church. We're not peddling uh, some kind of self-help program. We're not just trying to, you know, appeal to the masses. What we're preaching is Christ crucified, Mm -hmm. right? And it's foolishness to those who are perishing, perishing. But to those of us who are being saved, it's the very power of God. One of the things that I want to highlight here is as we read in Romans, right, Romans 10, we see this, necess- this necessity of preaching the gospel. And I want to dispel the lie that you can just live uh, a lie and people, or you can just, l- whoa, live a lie. Yeah, don't do that. But that you can just live life and it's automatically going to lead people to Jesus. I believe it can be, uh, it can serve as credibility to your witness, 100%. But I don't see, uh, I don't see the scriptures giving this outline that we're just to live life and never actually tell people about Jesus. That we're just supposed to kind of, you know, hope that they guess and they realize that the reason why our life is full and our life is abundant is because we go to church and we know Jesus. That's not the instruction that we see in Scripture, I think there still comes a responsibility to the believer to open your mouth and testify of the goodness of God. I don't want to diminish that power. I'm not saying that that's the only thing that plays into this, but I do believe it's an important thing, and I think we've minimalized it. And we tell people, well, preach Christ when necessary, use words. Uh, I think to preach the gospel uh, actually requires us to testify to Jesus and give him the glory. Does that make sense? It's important, friends, that we don't leave anything up for the imagination because people have all kinds of crazy thoughts out there. And I want to be clear that I think it's important that, yes, we're living lives that will point people to Jesus, that we'll live lives that will provoke thought and hunger about who we are and what we believe. But I think equally important to that is that we don't leave it up to, well, we just hope they figure it out. Be vocal about the fact that Jesus has changed your life, not just leave it up for second-guessing. Does that make sense? Cool. The second part of this idea of awakening, uh, I wrote this, to awaken believers from the slumber of spiritual complacency, to live with urgency, passion, and holiness in the midst of a compromising culture. Romans 13, 11 through 14 says this, And do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. We see this call to holiness here that exists because uh, we we see this command to wake up, right? To be aroused from slumber because we recognize the time is short. We recognize the the situation and the gravity of the situation that we find ourselves in and is the fact that Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming quickly and that the world out there desperately needs the hope of the message of the gospel. And the command here is that we would live like Jesus, to put him on, to display and demonstrate him well. I believe we need to live with urgency. I believe we need to live and be marked by passion and have a standard of holiness in a culture that wouldn't give that any value. So to be very clear, I believe our mission as a church is the same as that of Jesus who came to seek and save the lost, who came to preach the good news of the kingdom. I believe, I, I believe that if people were to, to look at Open Door Church, I, I so just want there to be a, a sense that we are preaching the same things Jesus preached doing the same things Jesus did. I want this church to be a church that would proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God, giving them the hope that it's at hand, that it's within reach, that it's, it's something attainable because of what Jesus has done. I want this to be a safe haven for the lost, not so that they can stay lost, but that they can rejoice in the abundant life that they've found in Jesus Christ, that they cannot find somewhere else, that they won't find in a needle, that they won't find at the end of a bottle, that they won't find in an endless array of lovers, but that they can only find in the redemptive power of the cross. I want that to be said of this church is that this is a community that is preaching the gospel to awaken pre-believers to the abundant life that is found in Christ Jesus. But equally important to that, there are a number of people that have come to faith in Jesus Christ at some point in their life and they've grown content with saying that they're a Christian. They've grown content, which is, you know, we, we go to church and we do the Jesus thing, but they're not living with mission. They're not living with purpose. They're not living with intention on, pro, on, uh, on advancing the kingdom of God. And friends, that's not okay. We're not interested in just making converts to say this is how many converts we've made. We're not just interested in making sure uh, that, that, that people, uh, you know, f- fill out Christianity when they have to fill out a survey or a census. We want to make disciples that make disciples. We want people to be aroused out of spiritual complacency to where their faith actually means something, where they believe what they say, where they're engaged with this book. They're engaged with God in their homes, and their marriages, and the raising of their children. That it's not just something that they add to their lives, but it's something that their lives are radically molded around. It's not enough, friends, to just be a Christian. It's not enough, friends, just to go to church. Jesus never intended that. And I think that's why so many people are turned off by religion. Well, they don't want to hear about the Jesus that we're peddling. (laughs) They don't want to hear about the gospel that we're preaching because they've seen it demonstrated in far too many people that it actually didn't change anything in their lives. My life has been completely upended, overhauled, and completely transformed because I encountered Jesus at 16 years of age. And I can't imagine casually serving the Lord. I say that, and and I have a hard time sympathizing with people that have kind of been on again and off again when it comes to serving the Lord, and, and... and that's me because I just can't I, I don't know if they encountered the same Jesus that I did. if they encountered the same Holy Spirit that I did, because I believe that that something has to look different, something has to be different. And the world is looking for that. But at the same time, friends, I, I believe that we have a responsibility by way of the Holy Spirit to provoke one another to love and good works, to provoke one another and hold them to a standard of holiness, to stir up passion in our brothers and sisters, to not let them grow weary in doing good. That only happens in the context of community. And so... You've gotten my twofold idea behind the word of waken. It's that the lost would be saved, and that the saved would act like they're saved. They would live like they've been redeemed. And I think that comes with holy provocation. And I believe that's something that the Lord wants to use His church to accomplish. The instruction back in John 20, verse 22, when Jesus is commissioning his followers, he's giving them this instruction. The instruction is to receive the Holy Spirit. It's kind of interesting. He breathed on them. and I believe John is hearkening back to Genesis chapter 1, where, or back to the book of Genesis where God breathes into man. Not Genesis chapter one, but the book of Genesis. But John 20 verse 22, he says this, he breathed on them. And he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8, we've been hanging out there through the week of prayer. I mentioned it last week, but the promise that Jesus makes would be that we shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us and that we would be witnesses to Jesus in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. We understand that the Holy Spirit is the empowering aspect of us being effective witnesses for Jesus. And I want to be clear as I'm outlining the mission of Open Door Church, which I believe is not just our church's mission, I believe it should be the mission of the church universally, but I I don't think it is on a large scale. Um, I think that there are churches that very much are preoccupied with an inferior mission, if I'm being honest. I think that there are organizations out there that are existing solely just to make money (laughs) and make people feel good about themselves and not actually uh, motivated by the mission of God. And so when I'm talking about the mission of our church, um, I want to be clear That it's the Holy Spirit at work in us. The Holy Spirit that is on us, that is drawing men and women to Jesus. Because if I were to say that we're the ones out there awakening people or that Nate Ward is the one out there making people believe in Jesus or convincing them in such a way, um, it'd be wrong. And I want to be clear about that. It's the Holy Spirit who is living on the inside of me and that has baptized me that can and will awaken people to Jesus. And I believe it's our responsibility to make room for encounter. It's not necessarily our responsibility to make people believe. It's the Holy Spirit that does that. And I believe that we're catalysts for change in the culture as witnesses enabled, and empowered by the Holy Spirit. So none of this works. None of this comes together. None of this comes to fruition, and we don't see people awakened in any capacity without the Holy Spirit. If we do, we've awakened them to philosophy. If we do it without <laughs> without the Holy Spirit, we've introduced them to ourselves, and we've built a platform for our own agenda, but it's not the mission of God. And so what I would like to do this morning is I would simply like to submit ourselves to the Lord. To ask for fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. Empowering from Him to do what He actually wants us to do. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you want to check out more of our messages, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Just search Open Door Pagosa. Our ministry is made possible by the faithful generosity of people just like you. If you were blessed by this morning's message and want to partner with what the Lord is doing in Pagosa Springs, find us at opendoorpagosa.com. Here you can give and stay connected with everything we are doing as a church.